Brought to you by Hug House Productions. Previously in Desperado, after our unfortunate evening at the bell tower, Elio was captured by the SCU and the goddess removed from his body. Talia was found in a hospital and rescued by Samar, and as for Shinji, he lost consciousness after being attacked by Asha. This is Desperado. I didn't recognize where I was when I woke up. Even more confusing, why did I wake up? It was the middle of the night, I was exhausted. I had a weighted blanket on. Why would I- The fatigue will pass, give it a second. Asher, I was still in his flat, in his bed, and there was something cold. A soothing balm on my ribs, just now drying up. Is it still soul? The events of earlier came back to me at once, but I didn't move. There was um, a strange distance to those memories. An apathy. It was so familiar, but I, I just couldn't place that feeling. Without a word, Asher put down a cup of tea on the bedside table next to me. Then he sat on a chair he brought from the living room. The dim lights did not do the bags under his eyes any favors. I frowned, wondering why I was not jumping out the window, why I wasn't even considering it. I... Well, then it hit me. Are you doing this? Most people don't notice. It was akin to Marcus's power, but colder. It was, I don't know, it was, it was about dissociation rather than reassurance. Wait, please, I just want to talk. How long, how long did you make me sleep? A little over four hours. Four hours? Sorry about that. The wind, elements are my strong suit. I'm better with people. Perception crafting, if you know the term. I think you mean manipulation. Well, you make it sound bad. My prisoner? His face fell all of a sudden, and for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what I had said to break his composure. Without a word, he took out a folder paper from one of his pockets and dropped it on the bed. What is that? Your application form. Alternative witchcraft. I filled out most of it. We just need signature, date of birth, current address. There's also a psych test we have to go through, but then you can go. Why are you doing this? I just thought you'd be safer here, rather than flying over London. I don't understand you. You don't have to. After a while in this job, you get to understand just how much is lost in translation, how much can be fixed if we just took the time to sit down and talk. Even after someone threatened to kill you? <laughs> You'd be surprised how often it happens. Um. It's okay. Go ahead. It was one of the circus assistants. 
They got Marcus on the line, and I reassured him that I was alright. He asked me if I was safe, and I looked up at Asher again. I said, yeah. I added how I had thought it'd be better not to come back till later, which was not a complete lie, and somewhat explained my radio silence. To my surprise, he approved. He said that you had both been located, and that was it. No details. He then said it was probably safer for me to lay low until morning. And he just hung up. I put down my phone, took a deep breath, and I looked back at Asher and said, Should we, um, should, should we try that again? And he gave me one of those exhausted, meaningless smiles. The ones you answer everything with when you've done too many night shifts. Then he leaned in to shake my hand. Hi, I'm Asha. Shinji. Oh. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Shinji. I then pointed at his own cup of tea and asked, Can I <laughs> buy you that drink? I'd like that. The earliest thing I can remember was hours after what happened. They left me in the vault, naked with just a blanket over me, and a grey prison uniform thrown on top of it. No shoes. I could not move. I just needed to lay there for a minute. An hour, maybe, just forever. When I was 15, my first real girlfriend broke my heart. <laughs> when she moved to Siwatanejo, I didn't smile for almost two weeks until one day my mom slapped the back of my head and told me to get it together, basically. Es una bendición, she said. And obviously we got into a huge argument about that, but you know, I got over it eventually. Then when I was 19, my abuela felt very sick. There was nothing to do. Her light went quick, but her funerals were sweet. She had led a good life and we wanted to celebrate that. She was she was a tiny, very loud, tiny woman. So we, we always joked that you had to find her by ear if you were looking for her. After she passed, it was just a depressing year for everybody. She had always been a constant, you know. The sun was still shining, doing the same thing it always does, and so did the grass, the wind, the seasons. So why, why, why couldn't she? Why did she have to go? And four years later, everything burned. I felt on my skin the heat of the stake they built for my mother as it burned. I saw my father shot in front of me. And still, nothing compared to how I felt down in that vault. Katrina had been the only thing that kept me, 
kept me going. She had carved the love of my people on my skin. She had my father's accent and my mother's smile. And now they were all... I wasn't, I wasn't wishing for death, I don't think so, but I was just waiting for it. But then it, 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 it would just stop. I was okay with that. At one point, the vault opened again, and a witch stepped in with my dinner in hand. Full gear, sword across the back, and handgun on her waist. Like, I could be a threat in my state, but... Yeah, she just put the tray next to me, then... How are you feeling? Didn't reply. Didn't move at all. My mind was completely blank, so... That's why even the most obvious clues did not register. How, for starter, unusually tall she was. Pulse is stable. Breathing is fine. Any pain? And that, that joyful rhythm in her speech. Why did it remind me of who? Who spoke like that? I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to make sure. Does it hurt when I move your arm? No? Okay. Here? No? Good. No wound, no scar. Very clean job. You got very lucky, Mr. Garcia. <laughs> and finally, the thing that even in my state made me glance. I understand that this can be a very traumatic experience, but believe me, the worst is behind you. Her accent. Her fucking accent. Her fucking accent. Her- My name is Zyla, and I'm here to guide you through this new beginning. I still couldn't move. I still couldn't move. And she must have seen the look on my face because she put a hand on my shoulder and said, It's okay. With you, I don't have to hide. You've wandered far, little one, but the Lord is patient. Repent. Leave this burden in his light. And in that vault, alone and hidden from the rest of the world, from the entire SCU corpse she had spent years burying herself into, the High Inquisitor Zyla revealed her halo. Pledge your faith and find peace. How many of them? How many? If, if, if someone had managed to infiltrate the heart of the SCU, how many of them were out there? How long until the old man ruled another continent? Had I just heard that right? I could feel her presence almost all around me, like standing in her shadow. What was happening? Believe. Uh, excuse me. Zyla jumped on her feet like that. And Samara was here, just standing right there. A backpack in one hand and what looked like a biking helmet in the other. But the door behind her was still closed. She had just appeared. Uh, I was just looking through the bathroom. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Zyla just shot, and it went right through Samar, leaving a trail of smoke as it hit the metal door behind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you? No, 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 no. We, we don't have to do that. 
I'm just here for him. Come then. To you the honor. The rest is a fucking blur. I... Zyla dashed forward, and when her sword hit the ground, the entire cell felt it. And Samara did what she always did. Knees bent, obviously. She slipped under Zyla's sword, found herself behind the Inquisitor, then just stood up with a little twirl. And that's it. Her two sabers simply followed. And it was over. The first blade slashed Zyla's left calf. The Inquisitor was brought down to one knee halfway through a vault face, and the edge of her sword tapped against the ground, halting her movement. Which meant Samara didn't even need to adjust her position. Zyla's throat offered itself to her right on time for the second blade, and a thin red line marked the ground as Samara put away her blade. Uh, strong, she said already walking toward me like nothing happened, like this was a done deal. Like, saw it, hated it, killed it, moving on. Zyla brought a trembling hand to her wound. Choking in her own blood, she stumbled forward on the- <sighs> Panic jolted my body awake, but I barely managed to lift my arm from the ground, trying to warn Samara, but- I saw her realize the second too late, and Zyla's sword sliced her in half. I haven't slept properly in a while. Sometimes it's the fires, and sometimes it's the vault. In that split second before I realized that Zyla cut right through nothing. Haze. No blood, no bones. Samara's body evaporated to reform right behind me, gritting her teeth. And although her body seemed unharmed, the stiffness in her legs betrayed pain. Quick! Zyla rolled her shoulders and wiped the blood off her throat. The wound was gone, with no scar left. Straight away she rushed again. I. I slowly managed to drag myself in a corner as Samar dodged the fucking monstrous blade. But it didn't matter how many times she struck Zyla or where she did, the wounds would close back almost immediately, drawing next to no blood, and the Inquisitor knew how to fight with her gift. Even when Samar plunged her blade in the Inquisitor's torso, it failed to slow her down. Samara barely dodged. She reappeared right in front of me, down on one knee, heaving, battling to break out from the mist, her body still translucent. It, really, it was struggling to anchor itself. A few steps away, the Inquisitor cracked a smile, then opened a small pouch from her belt. She poured its content on her blade, and the smell of gasoline spread in the air. Seriously, she could have been giggling as she presented us with a sample of her favorite book. And as they sin more and more, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that vanishes, like chaff blown from a threshing floor. And Zyla scraped the ground. 
igniting a flurry of sparks that turned into tongues of fire engulfing her blade. For the Lord is a consuming fire. <laughs> Despite literally being against the wall, I still tried to crawl back. And even, even some are froze, but not for the same reason. What are you doing? She said it as if it was the dumbest fucking thing she had ever witnessed. And I think it was because then Samar got up and despite clearly being in no state to fight anymore, she still had that look of absolute outrage on her face. Zyla didn't seem to question that reaction. Instead, she, well, she tried to take one step forward and immediately got hit by something. Samar started that throw holding nothing but air. Yet I saw, for a brief moment, locks of mist around her fingers. And at the last second, Basim dropped a bottle in her hand. The gasoline scent. Goddess, the smell. As fire devoured Zyla entirely, but from outside the vault, nobody could hear. The Inquisitor fell to the ground as Samar cursed her burning body. Fire? Fire? Are we in the 12th fucking century? Who the fuck did you think I was? She turned to me and said, Is it not a thing here? Or in the Americas? Did your parents never tell you don't play with fire? It's the one fucking thing you can control. Who does that? I had never wanted to embrace someone so strongly in my life, but I barely managed to lean forward. Incapable to utter a single word still, and to my surprise, she did not make any effort to help me. She didn't even seem to realize the state I was in, because she just walked away and said, Savages. Fucking savages everywhere. I'm so tired of this country. <laughs> she went to recover the helmet and backpack and then dropped them down at my feet. Come on, put that on before someone comes looking for her. And she laid out a warlock uniform on the ground, then then just stared at me. And I was like, what the fuck are you expecting me to? My, like, my body is, that's all I can do. I can just like shake on the floor in pain. That, that's it. What, what do you want me to? You have to. I can't carry you. Get up. Please. No, that's how the world is now, Elio. You've got no god, no kin, no one. Either you fight for yourself, or you die. Get up. Yep, those faces, you too, yep, that's, that's, yeah, she said that. But I, I wouldn't fault her for it. That's, that's how she grew up. And what did you do? I mean, whatever I could. I leaned forward and I think I fell face to the ground and... Then I tried to push myself up. I wasn't. I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure painful is right. My mind and my body were adjusting to this new balance, to this lack of guidance, and the exhaustion was tearing through my muscles. I was sweating, shivering, crying. The, the whole fucking shebang, and she still refused to help. After an eternity, I finally got to one knee, I looked up at her, and I just said, Fuck you. She had come all the way here just to watch me suffer? Wasting our time while we were surrounded by enemies, and she was ready to leave me to die, rather than lend me a hand? 
Hadn't I done enough? What else did I need to prove to be worth saving? Do you know what you replied? Get up, Elio. Yeah, like that was fucking easy, but I did. I got up, looking down at her. She did not care for my contempt. Yeah, she just passed me the jacket. I tried to take a step forward, but my legs gave up and she caught me. Come on, almost there. She helped me put everything on, kept me from falling when I tried to slip into the trousers, then passed me the helmet. That should do. Wish me luck. I frowned as she went towards the door and took a deep breath and unraveled herself again, fading in the mist. I was left alone for a few seconds and then a few more. A minute, maybe, but nothing. And then a noise behind me. cold wave went through my veins as I looked back at Zyla's body. Her arm had moved. Her, her, I wasn't imagining it. She was, she was breathing. She was healing back. Samar! Samar! Scream louder. She's still alive. No, she's not. No, she, she can't do that. It's the first time I saw Samar truly, truly rattled. Get out! Get out! Now! She rushed me out the door, didn't even close the vault, just shoved me inside the elevator. And I could feel her thoughts going a hundred miles an hour, but she didn't say anything until we reached the ground floor. Then she put on her poker face as the door opened, then corridors, exit, and freedom. Just two agents finishing their shifts after a particularly rough day. Samar even gave the reception a nod on our way out. We walked around the corner, then got into the backseat of a car and... The driver started before Samar could even close the door. I collapsed as soon as I sat down, fully expecting to pass out, but something kept me awake. The mind's still somewhere else. Samar slipped a hand under mine and then looked at me. You okay? With the little strength I had left, I squeezed her hand. When Zyla finally emerged from the vault, we were long gone. She alerted the entire city, demanded CCTV footage and the names of everyone that had entered and left the building, but unfortunately for her, she had gotten in her own way. The old man is a twisted god, whose power ignited through cinema and mass media. Manipulating images is one of the most common gifts amongst his followers, and... No doubt, this is why Zyla had been so comfortable revealing herself. Before going down the vault, she had looped the footage of the camera inside my cell, and when her agents went to check the live feed, the loop was still going. They saw me still unconscious in the vault and deduced someone must have hacked their system, and she certainly wasn't going to contradict them, because it was that or blow up her cover, so... All she could do was give our description and put us on the most wanted list, which is still a fucking pain, but manageable. En route to the hideout, we changed car after about 15 minutes, then drove for almost an hour to the outskirts of London. By the time we arrived, the sun had started rising, and Marcus' assistant dropped us by what looked like an abandoned house, really. I don't remember much, to be honest. Just that Samar unlocked the door, then laid me down on a bare mattress. In a room that just smelled small, 
I drifted in and out of consciousness for what felt like a few hours, but turned out to be three days. She never left my side during that time. Not once. I was delirious during most of it, but I remember some bits of conversation. And on what must have been the second night, I remember seeing her reading a book under the light of a naked light bulb. Ember shine on her dark hair. I didn't make a noise, I just glanced to the side, but she immediately looked back at me. I'd never seen her so tired. When was the last time she had slept? Funnily enough, the first thing she said to me was... <laughs> you look terrible. I got thrown in jail. What's your excuse? I got caught in half. <laughs> Fair. What are you reading? I asked Marcus to send me what he has on American history. Depressing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you know what the Kyler temperature is? Alice Kyler was one of the first recorded persons to be condemned for witchcraft. You'd think she was burned at the stake and that's why they named the temperature after her, but no, she managed to flee the country, so they executed her servant. Sounds like America, alright. No, actually that was Ireland. Not a really good book then, is it? <laughs> I'm getting there. The Kylo temperature is the point at which magic becomes impossible. How? Atoms. We figured that one quite recently actually. Magic is essentially the control and reordering of atoms, and heat is simply atoms in motion. Past a certain point, they become too agitated to control, and magic falls apart. But then, surely that Inquisitor knew that. There's a history, so why would she put herself at risk like that? I think you're taking genies for granted a bit. I don't need Basim to make a Molotov. Yeah, well, I guess we lost some knowledge in the past few genocides they took advantage of that am I going to die no I can't move it'll come back you don't know I do believe it or not we go through detachment voluntarily at home around 16 18 you're expected to live on your own for a few years we call it growing up. Someone did this to you? Mm-hmm. And then you have to prove worthy of your ancestors' return. It's a whole thing. It takes a few years for most people. Decades for others. What did you have to do? Hunt. It's in our blood. And... How long? Uh, about ten months. I thought... You said... Yeah, but I learned a cool trick during that time, and they really wanted it in the spiritual line, so they took me back quick. Is it what I saw? Um, mm, okay. Are you... Are you okay? It's, um, dangerous, yeah. Peaceful. No pain, no tether. It's freedom, atoms to atoms. And... It would be so easy to leave everything behind and return to the quiet. So you'd have to be pretty stupid to do it four times in a row. I'm sorry. It's not your fault. No, it really is. What I do for you is up to me. And it's not that bad. If you survive the first try, it gets a lot easier. If? Yeah, 
the first attempt is the real bitch. But in my case, it was pretty safe. You need a good anchor to bring yourself back, someone to return to. And not a lot of people have that. Not really. So the mortality rate is pretty high for first timers. 73% for men, 70 for women, but... You call that pretty safe? But, after digging into public records, some historians noticed that the majority of survivors were... Well, it's kind of the other way around, actually. For the longest time, we thought some people were predisposed for the mist. As children, they often felt limited in their body, in what they were told to be. Some signs are more obvious, like a kid whose hair changes overnight, or their height, their voice, and it's not puberty, you can tell. Some parents get freaked out because it starts to look like your child is possessed by someone, but no, it's, it's just them trying to figure themselves out. I think the closest word in English is transgender. And these people made out the vast majority of mist walkers. So historians put two and two together, which led to a more insightful statistic, because the real determining factor when it comes to surviving the mist is whether or not you're trans. If you're not, the mortality rate goes up to like 90%, and if you do, it's down to three point something, so yeah, pretty safe. How come? Because you get the chance to come back as who you know you are. It's a good anchor. Must be quite a day. Very emotional, yeah. You're not sure if you should dress for a party or a funeral. <coughs> I don't know what to do. You're gonna rest, and then you'll get up. Why? To keep hiding and losing and I'm tired so much <laughs> so tired the only people I want to talk to are gone and that they they burned down my home <laughs> they sent me to this cold fucking place my life will never be as good as it used to be so why would I get up? Because I love you. And <laughs> I think my family will like you. I... Nah, don't worry. It's not about you. What are you talking about? I'm not saying it for you. I'm saying it because you're calm and patient. Because I've thrown you to the ground more times than I can count. And you laugh instead of getting angry. Because... You hold your weapons carefully, and you hesitate every time you say goodbye. And and because you've tried to grow and figure yourself out every day since I met you. From saying you'd rather work backstage at Nova to admitting you don't, and throwing your jacket at the audience, no matter what your ancestors would say. And because, I mean, look at those biceps, come on! <laughs> I'm saying it because it's true. I knew the moment I saw you in that vault. And it's not a demand or a contract, really. It doesn't concern you at all. It's just 
a fact that there is someone out there who loves you and I can't just sit there and let you drift away. Let me be your anchor, okay? Okay. Then rest, and when you're ready, we'll get your goddess back. We changed cars once as well, halfway through my drive back from the hospital. I never made it back to Nova either. Different hideout, but same story. The place was better furnished, with a proper bedroom, a TV, and a stock kitchen. Oh, okay. Was it a safe house, or did y'all just book a hotel room? I mean, the continental breakfast was alright. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, were the toast a bit burnt? I wouldn't know. They only had croissants. Mm, mm. Don't Of you course. <laughs> Sorry. Did y'all get the all-inclusive running from the law package? Is that right? Could you imagine? But, yeah. You and Samar definitely got the backup place. An agent of the path was waiting for me, and then went to replace the out-of-date groceries. He barely spoke a couple of words, then patrolled around the building the whole night. I watched him from the second floor window, as he went to chat with the clerk from the corner store, asked for cigarettes from anyone that stumbled into our street. He was both building himself an alibi, and gathering as much intel as he could on how the city felt. Did the party-goers have a good time? Had they simply had enough of the club, or were venues getting shut down? What about the tube? He had a grating South London accent that made locals relax and foreigners slightly anxious. He was broad and tall, salt and pepper hair. He probably had a family he wanted to return to. A partner and children who either worried for him or didn't know anything about this. He was what Marcus called a coy. Like the fish. Koi's were survivors who had escaped the fires, survived the road, and somehow found a home. Koi's were quiet, with a kind heart, and a strange sense of humour, but a little erased, always weary of saying too much. And what's another word for shy? Koi. Yeah. Unlike the fish, survivors will gorge whatever food someone puts in front of them. Because even after decades, you never really know when your next meal would be. And that's exactly what he was risking for me. His comfort, stability, and his next meal. He was yet another stranger made to dance on the edge of a precipice for me. I couldn't stand it. This weakness, this dependency on others... And the numbing hen on my skin? Like some fucking spiritual child-proofing. I could almost sense my grandmother's disappointment from across the ocean. Was that really the child she had raised? Daughter of the bloodiest swordsman on the island. Granddaughter of the last free woman in Haiti. I would have given anything to speak to her. Even though I knew exactly what she would say. I remember I complained to her one day about feeling restless. I had been sitting for too long, powering through some history books she wanted me to read, and I said, do you ever get that weird frustration in your muscles? Like you want to walk and do something, but you're stiff and tired, so you're just stuck? 
She looked at me straight in the eye and said, No. When I want to walk, I walk. Okay, damn, Grandma. Yeah, that's pretty much how she led her life. Never doubted, never complained. And I could never compare. Because I was just a kid. And kids complain. They get... Tired. Scared. They're weak. If I couldn't be like her, maybe I was just weak. Or maybe you were just a kid. Yeah, but you don't have that perspective growing up, so... You bury that shit down and carry on. That's the goal. That's what being strong looks like. Until something happens and you realise how terrified you are. All the time. It's why you're surprised at how hard you're crying sometimes. And why you get angry afterwards. Because grandmother wouldn't cry, you stupid girl. And that's why I couldn't stay put. That night. In the safe house. No. I had asked the coy to bring back some smokes along with groceries. After he left, I pushed all the furniture against the walls and lit one of the cigarettes. I closed my eyes in the dark and stomped the ground. For the first time since I left the island, I flicked the cigarette to the ground, and as soon as it hit the floor, you'd have thought a smoke bomb went off in the apartment. The world turned grey, drowned by the smog. And in the air, I could smell the sweet scent of celebration. Sugar, sweat, and alcohol. If you were strong enough to possess me, you'd be strong enough to talk. The henna sent a heat wave through my body, and the smoke recoiled from me. He would be just strong enough to talk. It ain't much, oh mighty Sandy. I know, but your daughter thought of you. And on this wicked earth, she calls you. I said, answer me, Sandy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Desperado. Elio is played by Sammy Sweesey, Shinji by Tibet Boya, Talia by Tammy Ige, Samar by Kauta Moshadi, Asher by Patrick Hutchinson. And this week we welcome Carolyn Minx as Zyla. Stay tuned for our next episode, and in the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>